This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, retail continues to be an area of business that feels like it is in constant transformation. The legacy companies like Sears, JCPenney's, and Kmart, well, they're either hanging on by a thread or they're gone altogether. The year 2019 could see upwards of 12,000 store closures, according to CoreSight Research. Investment bank UBS says another 75,000 stores could be lost over the next five years. Meanwhile, e-commerce continues to rise up and draw the interest of the consumer as well as draw their sales. To discuss what the retail landscape looks like right now, we're joined here in studio by Tom Robertson, marketing professor here at the Wharton School and also academic director of the Baker Retailing Center. And we're also joined by Mina Fader, who is the managing director of the Baker Retailing Center. Good to have you both here. It's great. Thank you for coming in. Great to have you. Uh, How do you both view retail right now? Because in doing this show over the last few months and and, in prior years, it, it is unbelievable to watch and hear the constant theme of retail struggling, retail struggling, yet e-commerce continues to be a a driving force in this sector right now. Tom? Yeah. Well, you described it very well in your lead-in. As an academic, it's an exciting time. Uh, Retail is up for grabs. Now, if you're one of the traditional retailers, you don't necessarily look at it that way. Although, uh, in turmoil, there is opportunity. And I think for uh, retailers who are going to be smart about this, they're going to be able to take advantage of the situation. Uh, It reminds me in some ways of a Chinese proverb, which goes like this, that uh, may you live in interesting times. Now, it turns out that's actually a curse. And the idea is that you don't (laughs) want to live in interesting times. You'd like to live in stable times when not too much is disruptive. So for these legacy retailers, hey, times really aren't so good when they are interesting. Now, on the other hand, for the startups, hey, this is an opening. Uh, They've been able to come in and uh, prosper, or many of them have been able to prosper, a lot of them coming out of the Wharton School. Um, So for them, times have been pretty good so far. I'd like to look out five years, though, and and not just think of today. Um, If we look out five years, this may sound a little pessimistic, but I don't mean it to be. First of all, I think there's going to be a recession. You know, I think odds are exceedingly high for that. So what does that mean? It means that for the legacy retailers, it's going to be even more difficult for them to raise capital and to fund the things they want to fund renovations, new technology, it's going to be more difficult. So there are going to be more store closings. The U.S. is already overstored, so uh, why shouldn't there be more store closings? Uh, Malls are going to have to um, repurpose themselves. And around here in Philadelphia, we see that already, turning into condominiums or, you know, whatever they're doing. Uh, When my daughter lived in uh, Cincinnati, there was a mall that had become the world's largest church. Uh, which I found, you know, it had it was a church with basketball courts and movie theaters and you know all, all kinds of things. So I, th- I think there's a lot of change going on, and, and and you know you can view it as negative, but again I think there's opportunity. And one other way that you might think is negative for startups, there is going to be a shakeout. Um, it's going to be hard to monetize, and and that to some extent. Well, there are two reasons. One is we work, and yeah. they have killed the IPO market. Yeah. <clears throat> Uber hasn't helped, of course. So the IPO market isn't there for these startups to monetize. 
And the second thing is the acquisitions haven't necessarily gone well. Uh, the Walmart acquisitions, to a large extent, now are being sold off. Um, so if you are a startup, you sort of say, well, hey, how am I ever going to get my money out of this situation? And, and we all, always know that any startup, what are the odds of succeeding anyhow, one in ten yeah. or, or something like that? So that that's maybe a little bit negative, but you know, let's go on and give you answers, which is where we'd go next. But maybe you want to jump in before we get to answers, Mina. Well, no, I think there's a lot going on in retail right now. We are seeing some of these digitally native or direct-to-consumer companies doing very well. We've seen a history of um, some of the great ones actually being purchased by these traditional retailers. And um, I think as you think of culture of bringing those two kinds of organizations together, what that means in terms of retail, I think it is really in a state of flux. We see not only um, this whole world of, it's now an old world called omni-channel, but yeah. the idea of integrating the two together has not been as easy as people thought it that it would be. Because I not only think is it technology, it's culture, it's people, and uh, those are not easy things to bring together. So I think it really is in a state of flux today. Well, let, let me ask you then, because I, I wanted to touch on one of the retailers I mentioned at the top, which for me is is a legacy brand, and that's Sears. And Sears now, the last few years, it feels like has been hanging on by a thread. Right. And I think a lot of people have basically written it off at this point. How do you view Sears right now as a company, but... If there is any positive, any future for a retailer like that right now, Mina? Well, we, we have a, one of our uh, uh, faculty members once wrote a book called Permanently Failing Organizations. And you know, <laughs> Sears has been trying to go out of business for 20 years. Yeah. Now, at one time, it was a great company, a great American enterprise. And you sort of wonder why couldn't it have been the Amazon? Uh, because it, you had the Sears catalog. They were selling to sure. America. Yeah. And they were doing just great. But someplace along the line, they lost the vision and they didn't get into uh, the online and, uh, you know, they fell to their demise. I don't know if they're even still in business. I don't think so, but they keep grasping at straws. Yeah. And but they had some really great brands. They yeah, had they Kenmore, did. and yeah. they had Craftsman, and they had, I mean, they had really great brands. I mean, that, had was really that had value. That had value. And, and which I would they've say sold even off. Today, they still have very great value. You know, they have a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to wonder what happened to them. Yeah. I, I hate to say it. I'm sure that Sears still exists as an organization. But in my mind, it's one that I don't think about. In the, and when I think of the retail construct right now, unfortunately, I don't feel of them, that they're really in the picture. No, not at all. How then will e-commerce impact this yeah. moving forward when you think about a lot of the factors of the traditional big box retailer? Because that would almost seem to tell me that there is also going to be a real estate issue that's going to be at play here in the in the years to come. Right. Well, I mean, I yeah. do think that a bunch of the, you know, we see all the store closings, but what we don't talk about is the other side, that there are a lot of store openings that are mm -hmm. happening at the same time. If you look at the direct-to-consumers, you know, go back however many years ago when it wasn't that long ago, 2010 or so, when Bonobos and Warby Parker were all starting. Yeah. And at that start time, they said no stores. They weren't going to be opening up stores. And slowly you saw guide shops. Now you see a bunch of Warby Parker mm -hmm. stores. And when you talk to these direct-to-consumer companies, they're all opening stores or talking about opening stores. The question is how many? And what does a store look like? So I think what the face of brick and mortar is, is going to be different. Yes. It's not going to be your 15,000, 20,000 square foot 
40,000 square foot stores. Yeah. It's going to be a few thousand square feet. So the other side of it is that the uh, traditional retailers are going online. So it's going in both directions. The uh, the legacy re- retailers are going online and the direct-to-consumer are opening stores. So does that mean um, then, then, and I'm thinking about Kohl's to a degree here, when uh, they have kind of sold off pieces of their stores to other companies. At least them. Lease them off. Right. And, and whether or not that trend will continue for some of those some of those retail chains. Well for some of them it should continue where they have well they have too many stores and they're too big. Right. And you know, you're dealing with a generation that um, may not necessarily want big stores. And yes, online as in the um, season it, um, it just but, occurred. Uh, online went up, whatever went up, and and uh, traditional retail went down. But Kohl's and those kinds of stores are doing much more than just leasing the space because they don't need the space. Right. They're using it to draw traffic into their stores. Right. The fact that they've got Amazon partnered with them and accepting Amazon returns over there brings in Amazon customers yes. into Kohl's. It gets Kohl's to get you know, for those Amazon clients to then become... Kohl's customers and walk in the stores because I believe they get some sort of coupon or some incentive for them to go ahead and shop right. in the store at the same time with that. And who they've leased the space to uh, are companies such as Aldi, the supermarket chain. So yeah. the idea is if you can bring traffic to that site, it may also go into Kohl's. Which then I guess brings up the question of, of kind of that crossover right. because you wouldn't necessarily ex, you know link a, a, a department store like Kohl's that obviously is uh, clothing and uh, housewares with a quote-unquote grocery location. But then again, if the consumer is looking to try and, I guess, to a degree, kill bir- two birds with one stone, to be able to do something like that sure. does end up being a, a potential benefit for yeah. both companies. And Walmart has groceries in the store, and Target has groceries in the store. So um, the two are uh, getting together. But I think, as as you said, as Mina said, it. Omni-channel, but it has to be integrated, and it, it is about people and culture, um, and uh, it's not just a matter of saying, oh, we're a traditional retailer, but let's do online as well. Yeah. Uh, you have to understand where the consumer is coming from, what they want, and uh, be and able to deliver an integrated be, experience. Right. The experience needs to be seamless. Yeah, between those. it has to be seamless is the right word. Yeah. So then how do you look at, at, at the future of retail Starting the next five to ten years, what are we going to see potentially in the next decade? More of the more of the same? No, you're going to see omni-channel uh, stores are figuring it out. Uh, you're going to see fewer stores. You're going to see technology play more of a role uh, uh, and uh, helping relate to consumers. Um, you've got a new set of consumers coming in, and they're going to have to learn how to deal with uh, millennials, uh, Gen Zs, and alphas that are coming up. And, you know, it gets kind of interesting. I just finished teaching a course with 62 Gen Zs, so they're all 20 years old. And let me tell you, they are different. Um, They're into sustainability, inclusion, giving back, authenticity. They don't like to talk 
when they're in a store, you know, they want to be able to just look at things on their phone, check out without talking to anyone. Um, and so I think the retailers who, who determine how to uh, reach millennials, how to reach Gen Zs, and the next generation after that, the alphas who are still children, um, it's also about the consumer experience. Uh, how do you deliver a meaningful, much more interesting or in some ways entertaining experience? I think people are bored with the same old cluttered stores that you just load up with merchandise. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is that you have to experiment. And one company that I think is kind of interesting is Walmart. Uh, is, is Nordstrom. Walmart is interesting as well. But Nordstrom with Nordstrom department stores, with Nordstrom Rack, uh, with Trunk Club. Uh, they've got Nordstrom Local, which is just really a service center. Um, and they don't know whether all of that is going to work, but they're playing with it. They're experimenting. They're seeing what works. They're learning from that. They're modifying yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the future. You experiment. You determine what's, uh, what are some interesting ways to go. Nina? I think one of the early things that have been going on lately, and there's a lot of talk, but I don't think a lot of stuff has completely worked, so it's very early, is the idea of AR, VR, Sure. AI, ML. Yeah. What do those things mean, especially when you start talking about the digital world where we seem to be? Um, taking a look at something and seeing how it fits in your living room, yeah. um, identifying ways for you to be able to um, figure out fit, apparel fit, um, in an easier way to help re- the returns problem. There's a lot of that kind of technology that's still being worked on right now. Well, and I guess to a degree, it plays into kind of a theme we've seen in general over the last decade is that younger generations really are are linked into content. They want to watch videos on their phone. They want to, you know, be able to see the the experience occurring from. And I guess that plays right into where VR and AR may be able to take us with retail. Absolutely. And I think we're still trying to figure out, we retail, we're all still trying to figure out where this goes and what's the most effective use of it. We've seen some of it with let's say, an Amazon Go with the idea that you could walk into a store and, and not ever pull out your wallet and walk out <laughs> yeah. and feel like you're stealing stuff out, yeah, <laughs> out no, of the right. store. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But that's one application, and there's so many of those things. And then you've got your autonomous vehicles, and you've got, I mean, there's just a lot going on on the tech front. I think the interesting thing in retail is we talk to our students, and what I say to them is retail isn't just going someplace and buying a piece of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The idea of it combining with engineering, with design, with all of these other areas of, of academic interest and, and intellectual interest, I think it's become a very broad subject matter in just so many areas it's been untapped. Is there, as you look at, at retail in general, is there one thing you think that, that retailers now really need to consider moving forward to be able to, to make that next step, to be able to make that, that next leap? Well, I, I think, although it's a pat answer, it is omnichannel. You've got to be able to integrate the online and the offline. Um, o- online keeps going up. Uh, offline keeps going down. Um, but it, it, they sh- they're not in competition. They should be integrated. And, and so the stores that are really going to succeed uh, are, are those who can figure out how to go both ways and deliver as Mina said, a seamless consumer experience. And there aren't very many stores have achieved that yet. Yeah, I mean, there's experiments going on, and I don't know who we would say is doing best, but uh, we've got a long way to go to get it integrated. Mina? So I would say um, the historical world in retail, I think, has been about product. 
product matters. Product really matters a lot. You know, the design of products, all of those things. And I think that's true. But I think right now, the second side to this, which is at least as important, is the technology side to this. The idea, and technology doesn't just mean engineering. It means analytics. It means understanding the consumer in a different way. And um, I don't think retail has been as... Uh, they haven't valued it as much historically, and this is really now becoming a trend that's important. And they have tons of data. And they have yeah. a ton of data, and they got to yeah. figure out how to best use this at yeah. this point to really understand yeah. their customer. Another part of it is people and people who work for these retailers. Yeah. Um, some of our uh, colleagues wrote an interesting article, and it's basically, hey, retailers have been cutting costs by getting rid of people. And yet, when you go into the store, there's really no one to help you. And and it could be a much more effective uh, system uh, if there were people who could recommend things and get you the right size. And but, but playing off of that, excuse yeah. me for interrupting, when you talk about people, then it's the experience that yeah, the person right. has either going into the store yeah. or on their smartphone. Right. And, and it's the understanding of the company that's trying to connect with you on your smartphone of, obviously, and it's a lot of this is being done right now, uh, of giving you the right ad, but not doing it in a fashion that is burden, burdensome to the consumer as well. I actually think when you think about people, and it's on the brick and mortar side as well as on the technology side, I think the old world of people was someone who can just service you with whatever. And at this point in time, the salesperson isn't just a salesperson anymore. They need to be extremely knowledgeable about what they've got. Tom? Yeah, I agree with that. Well, we could go in another direction and uh, such a tremendous problem with returns uh, from both online and offline. And uh, a lot of the time is because of wrong sizes, wrong styles. Um, and I think a lot can be done with that. And some of it would be in the store if it was the right kind of sales help, uh, which in many stores today doesn't exist. But the, 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 And this is the time of the year where we see the potential biggest problem with the returns. And, <laughs> yes. it, and, it's, and it's a beast for a lot of these companies to, to have to deal with every year. It Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what do you do with the returns once you get them back? Right. right. So. And, and be able to repurpose them. Right. Or which not. leads to or, another problem, or not. which or is not. a sustainability issue, mm-hmm. right. that s- such a high percentage of them wind up in the dump, um, which isn't necessarily in anyone's best interest, or they get burned. And so uh, our students are up in arms about that sort of thing. Well, so what is it, what's the most common theme that you hear then from students? You touched on it a little bit, Tom. Yeah. So, Mina, what is the most common thing you hear from students today about their experience about retail? Convenience is really important. And I think the other side to this is, I will call it social impact. Retail with purpose are the Mm -hmm. words that we've used. Uh, Whether it's sustainability, whether it's giving, whether it's a mission that an organization has, it's part of the story that they're putting together. It's not just a story, it's what they really believe in. And how are, I'll say students, but how consumers are relating to that story. And I think that's really, when you talk about experience, I think that's the broader picture of what mm-hmm. experience is today. And you probably have more individuals in that group that are willing to investigate what the company really is, their backstory, their mindset, their philosophy in a lot of these areas. And therefore, do I want to be affiliated with that kind of a retailer? Right. Great having you both with us. Thank you very much for coming in. Great. Thank Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. Tom Robertson and Mina Fader from here at the Wharton School and the Baker Retailing Center. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.